Welcome to episode number 27 of the Four Animals for Earth podcast. Today's episode is titled Pitbull Talk with Advocate Laura Vena. We have to be careful. We have the word has a lot of power. And I, I don't know how much we realize that, but the word has a lot of power. That was Laura from Long Beach, California. As you could probably tell, Laura is passionate about helping pit bull dogs. Today, she challenges our perceptions of pit bulls, and she pushes us to stop thinking of dogs in terms of breeds, but to really start thinking of every single dog as a very unique individual, just like we are as humans. The simple idea for today is to go look up the All Dogs Are Individuals infographic that Laura mentions in the interview. You can find a link for that in the show notes. And have facts about pit bulls and dogs in general top of mind so that we can share those in a respectful way when the opportunity arises. As a reminder, Laura's charity, Blockhead Brigade, is our charity of the month for January. So what that means is if you have time, take a chance to jump over and find her on social media. She's at Blockhead Brigade on Facebook or Instagram and follow her and like or share something. Um, You could also jump over to her website. That's blockheadbrigade.org and check out her shop or donate if you'd like or join a pack walk if you live locally. And if you don't live locally, Laura specifically has said that she would love to help people get pack walks started in their locations. So please feel free to reach out to her. The information is all in the show notes. So for more simple ideas from today's conversation, you get a nice succinct list of them there. Um, a video of our live interview, Laura's contact information, and all supporting documentation, go to fouranimalsforearth.com slash podcast slash 27. Hi there, this is Brandy, and you're listening to the Four Animals for Earth podcast. This is a space where we inspire each other to take small steps every day to live a more conscious life, helping animals and the planet while we do it. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's all take a deep breath and let's get started. One thing I really love about your organization is that it's called Blockhead Brigade. And I learned from you that a pit bull isn't always what we think a pit bull is. So I thought maybe we could kick off with why you use the word blockheads instead of pit bulls. Absolutely. Um, First of all, thank you so much, Brandy. I'm so happy to be here with you. Um, So blockhead, I've always liked that term because I feel like there's so much confusion around the term pit bull. And because there's so much misidentification of dogs when they um, get to the shelter or when they're out in society. And um, so I really liked the word blockheads because, first of all, pit bull is an umbrella term. It's often used as an umbrella term for a variety of breeds like American pit bull terrier, American Staffordshire terrier, American bullies, Staffordshire bull terriers, and sometimes even American bulldogs. So, and within that, there's, you know, so much variety in look and, and background and stuff like that. Uh, But I became very interested in how dogs were being judged by that, that term, by pit bull. 
So when they're in the shelter, I mean, you have no way to know what their breed is. And there's a pretty good chance they're mixed. Mm -hmm. So, but these dogs that end up in the shelter or that are out in the community that have the blocky headed shaped heads, right? They're the ones who are discriminated against. So they're the ones I fight for. They're the ones, you know, what I, I remember there was one dog that was clearly a mix. I mean, I can't, I wouldn't have even called him a pit bull, but he actually got thrown out of his house uh, because of the HOA restrictions on pit bulls. So any dog that, that kind of resembles a blocky headed dog for me, those are the dogs that I fight for because of that discrimination. So, Mm. you know, I love that. And I love how right off the bat, we can talk about the fact that um, what we sometimes think is a pit bull may not be a pit bull and what we sometimes classify as a certain type of dog may not actually be that type of dog. And I don't only mean my, by breed, but I mean by temperament and um, just the, the whole thing that we, we stereotype a lot of type times with different types of dogs. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious even for listeners and people joining us today, you know, me, myself, when you first hear the word pit bull, how do you react? And I'm I'm just asking this question for people to ask themselves as we jump into this interview, because do you feel scared? Do you feel like, oh, I, I just want to play? Like, you know, what, what do you feel? Because I think there are so many myths out there about pit bulls and about the visual of a block-headed dog that... Um, really lead to a lot of discrimination in ways that we don't even understand. And I know that's what you're alluding to as you started to talk about it. So um, I definitely would like to get into some of those misconceptions today, and maybe we can grow some new advocates in our audience, is my hope. Um, So what would you say, I don't know if this is going to be possible to say the the number one, but what do you think is the most common misconception about blockheaded dogs? Okay. So my number one is probably different than most people's. Okay. My number one misconception about pit bulls is that they are unloved, that they, that people don't like them. Mm-hmm. I find that even among advocates and sheltering uh, volunteers and um, rescues and shelter directors that they assume that people don't like pit bulls, that people don't love pit bulls. But to me, um, and I'm sure people, if, if anybody's ever heard me before, they've heard me say this, there w- pe- if people didn't love pit bulls, there wouldn't be so many in the shelter. Because at one point, somebody wanted that dog, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to look at why. And we also have to look at statistics of why they are in the shelter. But if people, if they weren't popular and people didn't love them, they, they wouldn't be around. They wouldn't breed them. They wouldn't be selling them or making money off of them. And please spay and neuter your dogs, please. <laughs> because um, pit bulls have huge litters. And um, yeah, let's spay and neuter our dogs, please. But yeah, if if people didn't love them, why are there so many out there? That's mm. my number one misconception. I could talk about other misconceptions, but that's the one that I feel does the most damage to the dogs. Wow. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's really, really interesting because I do, I can see that as you say, 
you know, people think that they're not loved. And I can, I can see that. I can feel that how there is this, this thought that pit bulls are somehow, um, like a different kind of dog than other dogs that people have as pets. And, um, I can see why that would lead to, you know, a big problem. And I love just the simple thing you said of there wouldn't be so many of them in the shelter if they weren't loved by people. Right. And, um, I know I saw data that said about 40% of the dogs in shelters are pit bulls. And um, I mean, that I certainly feel like that's what I've seen, at least in the shelters um, here in California that I've volunteered in. Um, I wonder, can you share some of the qualities that people really do love about pit bulls. Let's share some of the qualities that, you know, it, this is very stereotypical as well. I mean, we're saying, oh, here's all the great qualities of pit bulls. And that's a very stereotypical thing to say because every dog is so unique. But what are, what don't you tell me, what are the things you love about your dogs? Let's okay. So of course, we're going to talk later about how all dogs are individuals. And I think we have to be careful about portraying all pit bulls as, you know, dogs you would carry in your arms like a little baby. Um, So we have to be careful about those two because every dog is an individual, just like people, right? And they have their, um, the things that make them joyous, the things that make them scared. So with that said, of course, when I see a pit bull out and about, um, uh, you know, the skies open up and the sun shines down on them. And I get such a big smile because I love them. I, I love them. And I'm sure that, um, part of that is because they, they are kind of an underdog and I've always, you know, been for the underdog, but for me, my dogs are, um, they're, they're very loving and engaged and, um, they, they're a part of my family. Um, they're, they're very friendly. Uh, so I think, I think the typical, like it, I don't want to stereotype, but a lot of people, um, you know, temperament tests have shown, and United Kennel Club has said that these are very friendly dogs, that they're people friendly and that they love people. So um, while I want to be careful to stereo- to not stereotype them or say that they're all like that, it seems to be very common to the breed to love people. So, I, I mean, I think they're beautiful and I think it's hilarious that, you know, to me, they are often clowns in a dog suit. Um, so again, while I don't want to stereotype and dogs come in all shapes and sizes and temperaments, uh, for me, I just like it, it's funny. I, you know, I'm sure that somebody, if they were to see my dogs in the backyard and the rare times that they are in the backyard, in the backyard when I'm not out there, but if they saw them and they were looking to, you know, do something like steal from somebody, they'd probably go to the next house. And um, that kind of cracks me up because my dogs are uh, cartoon characters to me. They're kind of wusses, but, um, you know, that people have that impression because they're these big, muscly, strong dogs. So um, I love how sporty my dogs are. I love dogs who are active. Um, and I love that they are loving and accepting of people. My dogs are dog tolerant, which is to me the best, the best thing. I'd rather have a dog tolerant dog than a dog friendly dog, which we could talk about later maybe. But, um, but yeah, I just love them. They're, they're cartoon characters and um, they're quirky and they have uh, their own needs. And um, we try to meet them as best as we can to make them as balanced as they can be. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. 
I love that attitude and philosophy. And I think that it's something we can all strive for as, you know, dog, um, dog, I don't want to say dog owners. Yeah. Dog stewards. (laughs) Um, I was like, I don't want to say dog owner, dog partners. Um, you know, something we can all strive for to, to create an environment for them where they get to thrive with their own personality. Um, I, I know that you like to point to a lot of scientific evidence. So I thought something that would be kind of fun for us throughout this conversation is to do a little pop quiz for everybody who's listening and people who are watching. So I, the first question I have for you, it's multiple choice. You can ask yourself if you want to comment, you can, which breed is the friendliest? A, a beagle, B, a golden retriever, or C, a pit bull? All right, Laura, so I'm going to let you answer this. Who's friendliest, beagle, golden retriever, or pit bull? And pit bull. <laughs> pit bull. And I, I'm not just saying that. Uh, so the American Temperament Test Society has a, a test that gauges, um, uh, it, it tests dogs' behavior towards humans. So it tests for aggression, it tests for friendliness, it te- tests for fear. And typically, a pit bulls uh, are one of the highest, they, they score in the top 23% in, in regards to behavior towards humans. So um, I didn't want to stereotype them as being good with people, but it is often true um, that uh, the the dogs, the testing has found that they're very, very friendly with people. Um, I think they were, they're like 87%. I'm sure I have this statistic right here. Uh, they're, they're right above golden retrievers. So, you know, when, <laughs> when you, um, when people think, when, when they think bad thoughts about, about pit bulls, um, or, you know, you hear the comments all the time when you're walking your dogs, I'm, I will say Long Beach is very pit bull friendly, so I don't get it so much here, but every once in a while you'll hear a comment and I just think about, uh, what, you know, people with golden retrievers would do if people were saying these things about their dogs, they'd be shocked. So that's how a lot of people feel. Um, when, when people make these kind of disparaging remarks about the dogs, because um, typically speaking, uh, they do test very, very high. So, mm. so yeah. I like that you're pointing that out because that's something that any of us can try to catch in our own behavior is if we're walking down the street and we see someone walking a blockheaded, blockheaded dog, <laughs> a pit bull lookalike, um, we don't need to perpetuate the stereotype. You know, we, we don't need to go up and engage, but we also don't need to run across to the other side of the street. And I think that just that's something very simple, um, that we can do to help kind of mitigate a bit of the stereotype that's out there. Because it's funny when you say, yeah, I mean, how often do you think of a golden retriever and think, Oh, little kids and playing and, you know, just this, this, um, perception we have of them and, um, often a different perception with pit bulls yet pit bulls test as friendlier. And I think that's probably a surprise for a lot of people. Um, it was for me when I heard it first from you, I think that it's, um, a really cool statistic. Yeah. And it's, it's honestly, I believe that it's all marketing pitbulls have had bad marketing, you know, it's, it's media and, um, 
I think it's, it's, uh, you know, maybe more exciting to um, paint pit bulls as the bad guys often um, with media. And I, I think we're, we might talk about that too, um, that, you know, they, it, I think it's been since the eighties that pit bulls have had this, this stigma attached to them. I do think that it's changed. I do think that it's gotten better. Um, I hope it doesn't go too much. I, I don't want people to think that you should put a baby down on top of a pit bull. Now people have to do what they think is right in their families, but we, you know, I, I'm all for treating, you know, even though my dogs are my family, I want to be careful about certain things because dogs do correct with their teeth sometimes um, and stuff like that. So I don't think we need to go, we need to stray too far. We just need to say that they're dogs like any other dogs, they're individuals just like any other individuals. Um, and uh, we have to really analyze these things that are in the media and something you mentioned, Brandy, that's really, really important to me is the things that we say you know, when, when we talk about people, we talk about microaggressions against people. The things that you say in everyday life impact, like long-term impact, the the lives of others. They they impact the dogs. They impact the the families of the dogs who um, are from from you know listening to people talk poorly about their family members and and feeling that. Um, uh, you know, it, it's it's very upsetting, right? Two things like housing, not being able to get housing with your dog, and if you if you don't have, um, you know, a lot of, uh, let's say, like you, you you don't have a ton of money and you can't just go out and buy a house or get the most expensive apartment. These things you make really big difference, and it's kind of a life or death, this you know, like difference for the dogs. Um, so uh, these little things influence people's opinions and then they influence policy. So we have to be careful. We have, the word has a lot of power and I, I don't know how much we realize that, but the word has a lot of power. Mm -hmm. I, so. you know, I definitely think that's true. And I think also we don't, we don't often realize how um, maybe just little Gosh, I don't even want to say conversations, just little points that we can bring up in our lives. Let me just paint a picture because this picture is in my head. I'm walking with my friend. We see a pit bull coming the other direction. And I just say to my friend, oh, did you know pit bulls are like tested as one of the friendliest, you know, something like that. And then we just keep going and we keep talking. And I'm just thinking that you never know that friend of mine could be sitting in a meeting sometime and have the impact over the housing policy at an apartment or they may tell a friend and that person could have the impact. And um, I think what I really love about just honestly, I get so excited about this podcast and the ability to have a conversation with somebody like you and to learn and for all of us that are listening to learn these little things and to be able to bring them up in our lives and, you know, just send out those little ripples into the world of pit bulls are different than what you may think. And just, you never know where that's going to catch up with, like you said, a policy, a conversation, just the way that people are thinking. Um, when it comes to, let's, let's talk about housing discrimination. Do you have any advice for people on anything that they can do to try to help that problem in their area? I suppose it could be as specific as I'm trying to get an apartment and I'm being rejected because of my dog to, I want to try to help 
um, policy in my area. Could you share some advice on that? Absolutely. Um, first, reach out to us and because we're really trying, the, the brigade part of the language and Blockhead Brigade is that uh, we're a community and we're only as strong as the people in our community. So um, I really rely on people like um, we, we're going to create a safety net. We're creating a safety net. So um, starting, you know, reaching out to others who may be like-minded helps. Um, obviously, going, you know, contacting your city council members, um, doing things like that. There's a, a great organization called Animal Farm Foundation. I have a link to that on my Instagram. Um, Animal Farm Foundation does a lot of advocacy and uh, they work a lot against uh, breed restriction legislation and things like that. Um, as far as with landlords, that's so hard because it's, we're actually starting a program that is going to be reaching out to landlords directly and partnering with some bigger organizations, um, you know, maybe somehow, you know, like housing insurance organizations and things like that, and trying to get them to help us convince people to um, at least treat the dog as an individual, meet the dog, um, you know, get to get to know that dog, um, give them a chance. So, you know, that's, I mean, you can always, you know, talk to people and, and try to make that happen. But I think, I think that's, it is like these conversations are the only thing that, that, um, you can do easily on a day-to-day -day basis. And then from there, you can start trying to affect policy and something as small as, uh, you know, I mean, it's not that small. City council, reaching out to your city council members and talking to them about these these things, um, even though they can't control what a landlord or a landlady decides to do, what a home, you know, and a lot of them are big companies that have these breed restrictions. Um, they can't necessarily control them, but having the problem or the issue in the public sphere is is usually helpful. So. Um, and and having the facts to back that up. So mm. just off the top of my head, those are the kinds of things I think that make a difference. Um, because housing is a big deal. I think I think you can you can attack it from policy standpoint and then you know conversations with people. Mm. So mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think um I think also speaking from this space of every dog is an individual, I think that's also something that we can so easily like try to flip the switch in our heads and try to move away from classifying dogs as breeds and saying, okay, this, yeah. this is kind of this temperament. This is this, this is what I, um, I prohibit. This is what I accept. You know, if, if we just in our heads keep working on trying to see every single dog as a truly unique individual and, yeah. and then perpetuating that out to the people around us, our friends, our council members, anybody we talk to. Um, yeah, I really feel like that could go a long way too. You can just see how if everybody's mind changed like that, you would start to see where the landlord is meeting the dog and making a yeah. decision based on you know, a half hour, hour interaction with a dog instead of yeah. just based on breed. Um, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Let's, um, let's hit our pop quiz again. So you it. started to talk about this one. Um, let's dig into it more. So true or false, the news proves that pit bulls are dangerous. 
Okay, so that one's super interesting because um, there's all kinds of research on this and, and statistics that you can get from the National Canine Research Council. So it's a mouthful, but National Canine <laughs> Research Council. I don't have a link up right now, but I will put a link up on our Instagram um, uh, in our bio. So um, they uh, they have did a really extensive uh, amount of research on on how pit bulls were depicted in the media and how the the coverage of um, bad interactions between dogs and people were covered. So. I'm going to actually look at this so I can quote it um, correctly. That um, they one of one of the um, things that they found is that a non-fatal attack by a pit bull type dog. So this is a bad interaction where there was some kind of a bite or something, but it wasn't fatal. Was reported 230 times in many media outlets. Okay, so one particular incident that was not fatal was okay. reported 230 times, whereas a fatal or more serious attack by labs, Labrador retrievers and other breeds were reported by only one or two media outlets. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of times they, they also found that um, in, in other studies that a dog's breed was misidentified. Um, I've, I've actually tracked that myself, um, more anecdotal on my part, because I'm not doing a, a study, a peer reviewed study like they are, but um, I've seen that before too, where the initial reports are that it was a pit bull, and then you find out it was a golden retriever, or it was, you know, something else. So um, they often also get blamed for uh, things that they didn't do, and and then also we could talk about the whole problem with visual breed identification too. Um, but yes, there's uh, you can see this. Um, it it must be uh, more exciting to uh, talk about you know, an attack by a, a blockhead than some other dog. It's it's really important. You know, I, I studied like media and stuff like that. And it's really important where, where you, how you frame things and where you, you know, put your gaze or your look, right? So this, this is like hard evidence that, you know, there is bias. We all know there's bias in the media, right? <laughs> I mean... We all know this now, right? Really? <laughs> we didn't know before. I mean, I, you know, I've studied this stuff forever. So of course it's not, it's, you know, it's, it's not a surprise to me, but um, we are biased. Humans are biased. So things that come out of our mouths are, are biased and we can absolutely be more careful about what we say and about doing just a little bit of research to make sure that what we are saying is correct and based in fact. Mm -hmm. So I just think that particular um, information, when you go and look at their studies, it's just remarkable. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's fascinating. And something that you showed in, um, I met Laura because she did a presentation for Pasadena Humane, and I just loved the presentation and felt like I learned so much. And something that you showed in that presentation was like a, a grid of like 25 dogs. Oh, yeah. And she said, pick out the ones that are pit bulls. And you're looking through this thing and you're thinking that one, that one, that one, that one, that one. And then the answer was completely different. And um, I don't know if that's something that if people, maybe if you all contacted Laura after, you'd be able to see it yourself. But it's just something that's a really interesting and eye-opening um, fact is just that 
we as humans, what we necessarily, what we classify as a pit bull and think as a pit bull and then is reported in the news and media as a pit bull may not be a pit bull. <laughs> so I just, I think that's a really, yeah. um, I think that was a really interesting thing to learn. And again, brings us back around to every dog as an individual and um, they really are there. A lot of them are mixed. Some of them aren't, yeah. but they, even if they're not mixed, their personality is going to be different from the next, just like we are, you know, we're all vastly different from each other and we all have our unique things that make us up. And it's the same thing for dogs. I really love that message that you share. The funny thing about that, it, there's been so many studies. I liked that it was visual. Um, but the one thing that was funny about that is there were only three of the dogs that had any pit bull in them. And I think none of them were pure pit bull, but <laughs> the one that had like the most, I think is a fluffy, <laughs> it's so it's funny. A fluffy dog. And, and you're like, wait a minute, this is a Staffordshire, you know, American Staffordshire Terrier. And um, the, the statistics are that that visual breed identification, they've done a ton of tests on this, um, the National Canine Research Center and other people have done tests on this. Visual breed identification is wrong 70% of the time or more. Mm. So, wow. and you know, when we can, we can talk about breed mixes too, if we want to, but because once a dog is, a, is mixed, you, it's neither breed. It's mm. an entirely different thing and you can't really look to the breed or to the parents necessarily to know about that dog. And even if you if you think about siblings in a family or sibling puppies, mm. they have different personalities, right? So if you've ever been around a litter of puppies, they have distinct personalities. So mm. um, that kind of helps also, I think, um, just support that idea that all dogs are individuals and that you have to look at the, that particular dog that's in front of you. Um, the, the most progressive shelters don't use breed identification. I know that's tough because people love, you know, their blockheads or they love this or that, but um, yeah, the most progressive ones know that you just can't tell unless you do a DNA test. So. Ooh, I love that. I love yeah. that. Um, that's really cool because it's then like a message coming out from the shelter out to hundreds, thousands of people that, you yes. know what, you really can't make a decision based on the breed. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. I wanted to take a quick break to share my friend Justin's shop with you guys. It's called Unforgettable Goods. And the reason I wanted to share it with you is that it is such a perfect fit for today's conversation because she has these cute little pit bull advocate things that you can buy and other just adorable rescue trinkets, all supporting animal welfare. So if you're interested in seeing what she has, look for unforgettablegoods.com and it's spelled fur like f-u-r like the animals so it's u-n-f-u-r-g-e-t-t-a-b-l-e goods.com or you can find her on instagram at unforgettable goods all right let's get back to the show okay pop quiz third question quiz. this is our last question true or false Pitbulls are the best breed for a guard dog. Okay. And I wonder what people are thinking to themselves in this one. Um, 
And then okay. what is the answer? Did I talk about, I felt like I talked about this, but maybe I didn't. So we, we hit on it a teensy bit. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to take two different uh, paths or two different things that I want to talk about. <laughs> First, the United Kennel Club does not think that pit bulls are good as guard dogs. Um, they say they are not the best choice for guard dogs since they are extremely friendly, even with strangers. And the American Temperament Test Society, of course, has found that they're very friendly with people. Um, but I think that I would probably add my my underlying thing is, again, to look at the dog as an individual. But also, I personally am not a I, I'm not I'm not for using dogs as guard dogs. And um, I'm I, I like to think of dogs as companions and family members. Right. So. Um, so I think that any dog, when, when we talk about guard dogs, we tend to think about, you know, dogs being protective or things like that. And I think that when it's hard for, it's a tough question for me, because I think that a dog that is too protective, maybe ha hasn't been socialized. Uh, and, and that's not always true. There, the dog could have experienced something or been traumatized, um, I think that any dog who feels frightened or threatened or who hasn't had a lot of socializing or has been um, mistreated in some way has a potential to be wary of humans. Mm -hmm. So um, I know that there's a big distinction too that, um, that is made between resident dogs and their behavior and family dogs and their behavior. So a resident dog is a dog that lives on the property, doesn't live in the house, and doesn't have a lot of interaction with the people, with the family. Mm -hmm. So um, I would say that, you know, a resident dog is more of what I, I, I maybe it's a, a bias on my part. I think of that as more as a guard dog, which to me is not ideal because dogs are pack, they're pack animals, you know? And um, when you talk about bite statistics and stuff like that, it's almost always an unfixed male that's a resident dog regardless of breed. So uh, I know I'm taking your question in a little bit of a different uh, direction, but um, I think when you have a, a family, uh, you know, a dog as a family member, it's a completely different thing. You know? So so I don't know if that answers your question, but I remember I read this article once uh, by a veterinarian in Humboldt who used to, he re he did some survey. I wish I, I still had this article. He did a survey um, of the local shelter and I don't know how they could figure out these numbers, but uh, it was the statistics supposedly were very high on pit bulls that were turned in, that were being used as guard dogs for illicit activities because they were too friendly. Um, you know, again, I, without having the article, it doesn't, you know, hold as much credence. Uh, but I, I just think, um, you know, maybe, Maybe the goal isn't to have a guard dog, but um, I, I I think that you know if you can if you can kind of keep keep your dog socialized in the the most comfortable way you can, um, that's probably the best way to go. So I don't know if that completely answers, but well, I think I think what it does is actually answers it really really well because I think number one that statement has a little bit loaded into it by just using the word guard dog. And right. um, I mean, I'll tell you, my dogs are not big dogs. And the number of 
FedEx delivery men that I've seen go running off my front porch just from the bark behind the door. <laughs> you know what I right. mean? It's, it's um, yeah. I, I think a quote unquote guard dog. Right. Little dogs bite just as much, right? So um, I, <laughs> I, I, um, I really, really like that you've pointed out that um, thinking of any dog as a guard dog is probably not um, the best way to think about it. And what I what I really love is that what you've shared is something very actionable, which is to think of any dog in your family as a family member and a unique family member at that. They're another member just like anyone else in the family. And I also think that for people who maybe are keeping their dogs outside, I think that that might even be um, just a, a bit of a, a light bulb idea to come from you that, you know, maybe that dog is not feeling as much a part of your family as you think they are feeling. Maybe they're feeling more like a resident renting time on your property <laughs> versus, you know, as a part of the family, because um, I don't know if everybody thinks that way. And it might just be a thought to, to consider um, focusing on more of the things that make that animal feel like a part of the family and not necessarily your bodyguard to the public. Yeah. And, and I mean, I'll, just a couple quick points. When I'm walking at night with one of my dogs, do I feel safer? Yes, I feel safer. Although, you know, I can take care of myself, but I feel safer. The funny thing is, is I always think I have to protect my dogs. You know, that's my thought. It's like, I actually think like the, there's, I have, the, I have this thing where there's only two responsibilities you have to your dog and it's to protect them and to have fun with them. That's, that's it. Everything else, like we, we over love our dogs, you know, that's all going to come, but um, to protect them and to have fun with them, I think. But I don't want to shame people who have their dogs outside either, because there's so many different varieties of um, dog stewardship or dog families. There was a, a dog adopted out from my local rescue that I absolutely adored. And he was going to a family that was going to have him live outside in a dog house um, with another dog. Um, and I know that he was going to get walked like two hours every morning and that the family was going to be engaged with him. But I was still so sad about it because of course, for me, ideally your dogs live inside with you. That is the ideal. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and, and of course, like I said, I don't want to shame anybody and mm -hmm. we always want to support people no matter what. So if your dogs are living outside, how can you make them more a part of your family? Because some people don't have a choice either. Mm -hmm. um, and, or, or that's just the way that they, they have chosen to do it. it either way. And absolutely, you can make your dog more of a family member. That, that dog that was adopted out, the family, uh, I talked to them. And I happened to be at the shelter when they picked him up. And they were very nice. And they ended up sending me a video of the dad in the doghouse with them getting loved on. The he looked very happy. The dog looked very happy. Um, and I know they're taking good care of him. So uh, so while for me, the ideal is that the, the dog, especially it's, it's, you know, because of weather and, and socialization and all of that, the dogs want to be with the pack inside. But, um, you know, there's other scenarios too that, that, people live and you can always make your dog more a part of your life in some way, spending quality time with them. Mm. So yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that you've shared that because, um, 
yeah, it's not something that I've thought of much, but to your point, there's, it, it just goes back to remind you that there are so many thousands of different scenarios that we all live in, in this world and the dogs live in, in this world. And I love that you've shared, um, that, there may not necessarily be like right and wrong ways right. to do it. But if you are focused on just trying to make them feel as much of a family member as you can, right. that probably is going to go a long way. Yeah. I really like that. Um, I'm glad that you've shared that. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Did you want to try not else? to be judgmental? You know, of course we know we have ideas of what we think is best, but if we're going to be a community organization, we have to try and support people where they're at and see, you know, can the dog come in at night? Maybe, you know, can the mm -hmm. dog have like a space in the house maybe that, that he, he or she can be in. Mm -hmm. um, so I look a lot to uh, organizations like downtown dog rescue who are my, my heroes um, and, and how they interact with people and uh, you know, there's, there's no point to shame people. Um, there's, it's not going to help the dogs. It's not going to help the people. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's a philosophy for all of life. <laughs> you know, really, yeah. there is never value in shaming other people or value in being highly judgmental of the way someone else is handling a situation because right. um, we don't know. And, and I do truly believe that that perpetuates the problems more so than helping make them better. And, you know, when we talk about blockheaded dogs, I really do think the more we can have open, honest, understanding conversations and just try to meet each other and help each other and ultimately help the dogs. I mean, that's, that's the dream, right? So, um, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a good reminder for all of us to to take with us today and on out into the world, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Agreed. Um, <clears throat> so um, let's wrap up with one simple idea, one okay. thing that you think our listeners or viewers could do to help blockheaded dogs today. Okay. I kind of snuck in too. Good. Uh, I go would, for it. <laughs> I, I may I put it in one sentence, so it almost I put long, it but, in one sentence. Uh, <laughs> yes. There um, we go. <laughs> uh, challenge your perceptions and become informed. Okay. So I think the we've talked about this. This is perfect. I, I didn't know this would naturally come up in our conversation today, but you know, having some basic information and facts and knowing where to point people to goes a long way. So if we're informed, like go to Animal Farm Foundation, check out their All Dogs Are Individuals infographic, which is amazing. It has, you you saw it, Brandy, with, when I had the Pasadena Humane webinar. Um, it It is really cool. It teaches you so much about dogs and their DNA and how, you know, their their breed is is only like point two five percent of their DNA and how, you know, once you know those things, it's it's like, wow, okay. Now I have to check myself when I talk about um how much I love pit bulls and what pit bulls are like. That's why you see me all the time trying to regulate because um I love them, but at the same time I need to see them all as an individual. That's the best thing for them. 
So go uh, go to um, places like Animal Farm Foundation, the American Temperament Test Society. But th the one place is that Animal Farm Foundation and look up the facts and have those handy and point people to them. Because if you approach people in a respectful way and you give them some facts and um, do it in, you know, do it with, you know, in a very, uh, I don't know, diplomatic way, you, you can really help change people's minds. Um, and you can really help the dogs, I think, by doing that. So that's, mm -hmm. that's my number one thing. And, and yeah, come, come, you know, reach out to us, we'll point you in the right direction. If you forget anything or need some guidance. But yes, um, challenge those perceptions. Mm -hmm. That's it's a really good one. Um, what is the best way for people to get a hold of you if they'd like to contact you? I love when people email me. <laughs> so it's it's blockheadbrigade at gmail.com. It's super easy. You can totally reach out to me on Instagram, but I, you know, I get so many messages that it gets lost. So I may get back to you, but then I'll be like, oh, I really want to talk to that person and I don't remember their what their name was. So if you can email me, it's the best. So of course I'm on Instagram at Blockhead Brigade. Um, we have our website, blockheadbrigade.org. Um, and then the email is great. So I can have a conversation with you and connect. Perfect. I love that. I love that. And um, I will will have all that information in the show notes, along with um, a link to the infographic you described. I'm thinking, you know, if you do one thing today, you go and you really like look at that infographic, like you'll you'll retain the different facts in there just because that's yeah. the way our brains work. Right. So Absolutely. what a cool idea. I'm definitely going to be doing that when we um, hang up. So um yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your knowledge and your passion for these dogs with us. And I really hope that through this conversation, we picked up a few more advocates. And that's all for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening and for supporting the show. If you're up for it, ratings and reviews are really helping us right now as a new show. You can do those if you listen on Apple or on Stitcher. Otherwise, the best thing you can do to help is to tell a friend. I really appreciate your help in um, helping us grow this community. Remember that you can always join me live for interviews at foranimalsforearth.com slash live. Just check out that link to see when the next one is scheduled. And if you want to get in touch with me personally, I'd love to hear from you. Come say hi. You can DM me on Instagram at foranimalsforearth. Okay, until next time. Bye.